0: welcome to rethink retail the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet from brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation so ask yourself are you ready to rethink retail the future of retail starts now Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I'm your host, Gabriella Bach, and today we have an entrepreneur who has redefined maternity wear with her brand, Amelia George. She's a woman of remarkable resilience from a United Nations advisor to becoming the founder and CEO of a brand that blends fashion with functionality for expecting and new moms, her journey embodies the spirit of perseverance and innovation. Joining us today is the founder and CEO of Amelia George, a New Yorker with a PhD in public policy, an angel investor, and a UN advisor, L. Wang. L, welcome to the Rethink Retail podcast.
1: Thank you, Gabriela. Hello, everyone. It's really my pleasure to talk to you today about our brand and answer any questions that you may have. So you're a brand founder, you're an angel investor, you have a PhD in public policy,
0: you're an advisor. So, first question. Oh, and you're a mother, which you know is the the biggest job of all. So, question number one
1: is: When do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, it really brought me back to this comment. One of my production partner uh, in Asia asked me because if he, she would catch me, you know, responding to text or messages like at three. A.M. like New York time. And uh, mm-hmm. one time she asked my uh, my mom, actually, um, saying like, oh, it, like, does your daughter ever sleep? Because, <laughs> you know, she seems to be online 24-7. Um, once I picked this route after I, you know, became a mother and also, you know, for the first two years, Amelia George was very much a side hustle. And then we were do- dealing with the pandemic, which mm-hmm. means that uh, we were taking care of my kid at home full time. Sleeping has become truly a luxury and is still a very much a luxury until this day, especially uninterrupted sleeping. Um, any day, if I can have like four hours of truly uninterrupted sleep, it was a fantastic day. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just, you know, roll with the punches. Um, you know, this is a route that I picked for my personal life and professional life. And, uh, you know, you just got to have the, Great personality to love it I think if you have this love for it it makes it easier
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah it's funny because you mentioned like four or five hours and like of good sleep you're golden and one of my friends she is a new mom she asked me because they're still in the her baby's about four or five months now and she asked me the sleeping thing does it does it get better and I was just like no but <laughs> But you get better on being able to to operate on on very little sleep. Like back to that comment about resilience, like it is it is so true.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: So you know, El, I would love to kind of hear from you because you know it's not every day that we've had a UN advisor on the show. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your background prior to launching Amelia George and kind of have you lay some of the groundwork for our listeners to
1: get a little sense of who you are. Okay. I spent a lot of years at school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I went from college, uh, majored in broadcast journalism. Um, I worked here in some of the State uh, Media You know, I came from China, so I interned at some of the Media. Mm -hmm. Companies back home, I didn't like it, so I decided to come to the States to pursue higher education. So I got my master's in public policy, and then 20 months was still too short. I decided to continue with PhD in education. Mm I researched a lot on African immigration to China, studied their social identity, a lot of like field research back and forth in Africa, in China, and even, you know, try to interview people in like the Bronx and uh, you know, some others, like even in D.C., like where African communities would uh, congregate. And I would try to compare the mm-hmm. different communities. Obviously, coming from a public policy major, working at the U.N. or the World Bank is like a dream job. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I think I'm a pretty relentless hustler. Just, uh, you know, continue to pursue opportunities. I started as an intern at the U.N., Subsequently got a job as a consultant and then just uh, started working as a partnerships advisor after I was done with uh, my PhD coursework for the past seven, eight years. Time really gone by fast. Mm -hmm. A lot of this seemed to be so remote from like Emilia George and Motherhood Lifestyle brand, but um, a lot of things actually made sense to build Mm -hmm. that foundation because... As a partnerships advisor, I had the opportunity to work a lot with, you know, representatives from all kinds of um, regions to build um, projects that focus on women innovation, focus on on entrepreneurship. I had the opportunity to actually meet with entrepreneurs, especially like female artisans um, in the Caribbean, in Africa. And uh, we built this global innovation center that had four pillars, you know, buttressed by the government support, education, infrastructure, Mm -hmm. and all that. So all this actually fueled that entrepreneurial fire within me. And I met this, like a group of uh, women, especially some pregnant women in Uganda, like one of the biggest refugee camps. And uh, I wrote like a whole Blog on it. I think that was the pivotal moment. 2018 was a pivotal moment because it was right before I was pregnant. And uh, I was talking to these women and the maternal centers and uh, the kind of like harsh conditions they had to go through as mothers. Mm -hmm. And like in our world, wouldn't even uh, comprehend. And uh, when I was pregnant uh, with George, my first child, you know, I obviously started the company five, six months into it. But all these previous experiences really built that strong connection to do something that with more um, creativity, with more direct, you know, like you can provide products, provide benefits, provide some sort of impact to, to individuals, rather than through like more corporate chain, more bureaucratic mm-hmm. uh, system, and, uh, and also something to do with mothers, to do with women. And all stars sort of like, you know, led to that uh, pivotal moment, um, you know, five, six months when I was pregnant. And uh, when I was frustrated as a mother, as a consumer, I started as, you know, that clothing, but now we obviously became this all-encompassing lifestyle um, brand that really tried to enrich a motherhood experience. Mm-hmm. So I hope, you know, by going through this whole journey, audience really to see that, you know, went back and see that whole picture of how everything came together.
0: Absolutely. You know, I always find it incredibly fascinating to hear stories about, you know, founders that don't necessarily have a background in, in retail or fashion. And then, you know, people who often, I would say most of the time get into public policy, like there's a there's usually a very, very deep passion there. So I'm assuming like you loved what you did and, you know, was it was
1: it difficult to leave that? Oh, it took several months, really. I mean, actually, I would say like years because that's why Emilia George stayed as a side hustle. It's not like, okay, I had this fantastic idea. I will just, mm-hmm. you know, quit my job next day and then start working on this business. It was a wonderful career and it was such you know, like an experience that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to get in a lot of other places. And you know, coming from that public policy background, you really standing from the global perspective, uh, there are very few international organizations that will you know, forge a young professional with that kind of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very difficult, not to mention, obviously, the more stability, we were becoming a family of three and eventually a family of four, I had to have long conversation with my husband to have him behind me, you know, so I'm not like this, just a wild card, start to like, you know, stop getting paychecks and then start Mm -hmm. running a business. So it was definitely a very hard decision and a decision that, you know, went through very, like, comprehensive and very in-depth, like, several rounds of conversations with all the people that are involved in my life. And a lot of, like, consulting with my confidants standing board. And then uh, eventually, you know, March 2022, I believe is when um, I decided, you know, the company has grown to a level that Mm -hmm. I decided to do it full time. Amazing. So let's
0: talk a little bit about Amelia George. You know, you've kind of explained some of the background behind it and, you know, how you kind of derived inspiration from all these different Areas of your life into how you came to founding the brand, but was there something missing in the market that you had noticed, or what was really the like the big kind of inspiration point behind you know I'm going to launch my own lifestyle maternity brand? You know,
1: like it's almost four years since the um, you know our our web website launched, and mm-hmm. uh, I always remember that one moment. That's the it's the late or like mid to late December day in New York, you know, very cold. I was five months pregnant and I was sitting in this open plan office, you Mm -hmm. know, at the New York UN headquarters. And I was feeling like so uncomfortable and I was so hot. And Mm -hmm. I was looking at the window, I was like, I want to open the window. But obviously I couldn't because it was like a cold winter day and no one would appreciate it. And then by the time I got home, Uh, the door barely like closed behind me and like the dress was, was already off. And we are talking Mm -hmm. about a $250 maternity dress. Like Mm -hmm. I really didn't go cheap or go like, you know, uh, because I had a professional image that I wanted to preserve and I care about quality. I care about value. So I went to like, you know, very established brands to get really like I thought good products, Mm -hmm. but I was livid. Why? It was an expensive dress, but it made me so uncomfortable as if like a new pregnant woman hasn't gone through enough with all the physical (laughs) change, emotional ups and downs. And now the clothing was like torturing me more. Mm -hmm. And I actually outgrew the dress in my third trimester because there was a lack of um, elasticity like Mm -hmm. around the waist. Can you believe that? How can that be considered a maternity? dress like it's the one spot that I need to be like uh, it has to (laughs) be stretchy so you know the bum was only growing bigger (laughs) so I had to like stop wearing it. you know in my third trimester which made me even mad as a consumer I was like no way and like maybe that feminism like came from within that you know it's almost like a disrespect to like I saw it as like, okay, this is how the brands or retailers or the market um, is mm-hmm. treating like new mothers. They just didn't put any effort into yeah. it. They, I mean, they didn't even care like how um, like a pregnant body would you know feel, not to mention the style. so I was like that that was a moment I told my family that I will, like not I can, I will launch a better collection. I mean, maybe, I mean, at that point, I literally didn't even have any sort of like capacity in a way that, uh, I didn't know where to get fabrics. I didn't come from the background. Like, where do I, where could I even start? But I was determined. I will. So I approached this whole fashion retail brand world with a very determined mind, um, like very consumer, almost consumer-centric. Like I was really thinking uh, from like a mom's perspective Mm -hmm. um, rather than like, oh, I was interested in fashion always. So I want to have a fashion brand.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And I, gosh, yeah, I, remember. I remember the beginning. <laughs> when I was pregnant with my son, um, and it was a similar thing. Like I was a journalist in LA. And so like I had to be polished still, but nothing fit. I ended up just wearing clothes that were, I would just like go up in sizes and then have to kind of like, cause nothing, I, I couldn't find anything that I liked ever. And I'm on your website and a lot of the styles here, like they're they're super cute and they don't look like, you know, traditional maternity wear, which can be really ugly. Like, I'll just be yeah. honest, a lot of the time maternity yeah. wear is just very ugly and like patterns. It's like, what are these patterns? Why would you put these? And why would you put these patterns right on the belly? Like, what are, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for this compliment. We really want to dissociate what our style um, is from the traditional maternity style. Mm-hmm. By how do we do that? I mean, of course, you know, there's the designs, there's the aesthetics, taste, but also like we specifically use non-pregnant mom models to just to really showcase. How our clothing looks on a non-pregnant customer, because a lot of brands talk about, oh, our clothing can fit before, during, and after. I, and I truly believe so. A lot of clothing, absolutely, are flexible uh, to do that, but it's very difficult for a consumer to truly like envision. That image, while the photographies and all the assets to show, you know, the clothing being worn by a pregnant model. So we really wanted that, uh, you know, without us saying that or trying to convince our customers, we just to show you from our photos. And, uh, you know, that's why on our website, on our social media, we really pick both pregnant models. And then we really try to work with like uh, moms who already have, have like a few, maybe a toddler or like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not pregnant at all to showcase how our styles are just your everyday, like women's ready to wear. Like you could have just, anyone can just walk into the store and be attracted to the silhouette and to the designs.
0: I love that. And then also for kind of like, you know, the, the post-pregnancy era, too, you know, your fourth trimester, where things are starting to shrink down just a little bit. But you know, you still want kind of that comfort and functionality and also look great and be comfortable. So then still being able to wear those, those garments, you know, even even after you've given birth.
1: Yeah. And one of our biggest wholesalers, always uh, showcase some of the customers feedback, also from like the plus size communities.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, there's definitely a need for that in the market. I could definitely see you guys hitting with the the plus size community because there there is very little um, in terms of you know cute, functional. Again, with the pattern thing, not having just awful patterns everywhere. So,
1: <laughs> um, it's very funny, Gabriella, because I approached this whole business from very analytical perspective, like my dorky mm-hmm. side of spending all these years at school. Was always like the uh, like the origin and the foundation of like how I start every day. Like I talk mm-hmm. to my team, I talk to myself. Like it's like we must always uh, focus on all these like markets, um, like how people approach this because the juxtaposition between women's ready-to-wear with all these big fashion weeks coming, you know, mm-hmm. that has already been happening in Paris, coming to New York. It's like a sea of luxury and fantasy. But then, like, once you become pregnant, it's like maternity clothing had nothing to do with women's ready-to-wear or fashion. Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's so mind-boggling to me. Maternity is really like, you know, growing a bump. Um, it's part of, you know, a womanhood, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a stage of being a woman, like, uh, transitioning to a mother. But that womanness is still very much in the mm-hmm. mother, like a, a mother never stops being a woman. Like there's no reason why all of a sudden all mothers had to like stop, you know, um, being treated as like potential customers to women's mm-hmm. ready to wear, but they have to only choose from this other style category. Mm-hmm. I think internally is very much a function, a functionality and it should be really woven into the women's ready to wear mindset by a brand, by designers Mm-hmm. There's really no difference if I used to work and wear, you know, Hugo Boss, Eddie Tahari, like all these like professional clothing. Mm-hmm. I want to maintain that image, even though the traditional pieces I wear wouldn't allow a bump. But how about brands like Emilia George give you a very similar feel and a timeless design, but have the technical, you know, capability to allow the bump to grow. You know, it's really that carries through that true style of Mm -hmm. yourself that you don't have to compromise that's really um, something that we have been very much true to and uh, I tell my designers I have two technical designers and I serve as creative director that we are designing pieces For women who want to spend their hard-earned dollars to invest in, we are not spending. We are not, you know, trying to come up with pieces that Elle likes, or you know, Mm -hmm. we are not uh, putting out designs to showcase at a gallery or a museum just for looking or window shopping. We must uh, listen to customers and uh, look at market trend, and uh, like stay so 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 involved with how the customers. Have been telling us either by their behavior by what they tell us by their feedback um, and this is how we have been doing and how we have been building this customer base so organically without mm-hmm. vanity spending without all the like any sort of like gimmicks mm-hmm. we have been very down to earth and uh, um, you know building a brand that really has been put together together with a lot of the legacy brands um, in all the PR mansions and all the department stores, without like a PR team, without like a marketing team, without anything, mm-hmm. it's truly supported by the customers and we love it. Well, I love
0: it. You know, and as, as a lifestyle brand, you know, how do you, how do you want women, how do you want your customers to feel in in your clothing when they're wearing the brand? And, and then how do you weave that story in throughout
1: your branding? We, so our branding has also shifted over time a little bit because when I f- it, uh, when I originally came up with the first collection, it was very much like a workwear focused, mm-hmm. and we are like you know three months after we launched, like COVID happened and no one went to the office anymore, right. and we quickly pivoted to something a little bit more, but not like loungewear, but a little bit more like everyday. Mm-hmm. And- Uh, Smart casual, yeah, smart casual, all occasion type Mm -hmm. of designs. Um, and then once we decided to open our first physical location after you know doing a lot of the pop ups and gathered a lot of feedback, we decided that it should be an experience, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's not a pure just a fashion label, it's not just a clothing. Mm -hmm. It is a shopping experience for like a whole motherhood. It's like the full cycle of motherhood. And it should be like a haven where mother mothers may have like 20 minutes, you know, um, to kill or like to, for herself. And then they pop in and then they feel this like very happy and safe feeling and very homey, but then still, you know, seeing all these like very like hottest brands that we curate and mm-hmm. uh, have. Uh, very like nice or essentials and indulgences products that they may actually need like we sell bobby formula as well so now that's very much how we carry through uh through what we you know like the messages and the products that we um we have been like you know conveying to our customers the clothing should be elevated but uh, it should be Accessible in a way like Mm -hmm. I love like New York City, but I also understand that, you know, like not every city is like New York City. So I always want to, um, you know, like ask people who come from different states and different cities. And then we always pay attention online, which styles, you know, fit uh, Mm -hmm. price range. And uh, we want it to be more. I mean, I wouldn't say completely must teach that kind of products. But it should be something that people see value in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People see value in, and that brings like that happiness, that unpretentious happiness, in, um, so that uh, you know they feel comfortable, they feel being taken care of, they feel being um, being seen that someone out there actually cares about the details that will just make their pregnancy and motherhood journey a little bit better and a little bit easier. In a way, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, absolutely. So, kind of bringing it back to your roots a little bit here, and I feel like you, you still very much approach things from kind of the consumer mindset. But then I'm also seeing some of kind of maybe that UN background coming through with um, just a lot of like evidence based decision making that's going on behind the scenes, which is really oh, great.
1: absolutely. I- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so you are you you are very like observant ab- because you know um you may think like I'm silver dorky. I don't know like how many founders of like a fashion brand or like a mm-hmm. lifestyle brand actually go on like census bureau, like all the time, because I check like those census bureau data on like um, household income of like zip codes, mm-hmm. like where our customers come from. I check her uh, like you know, our, uh, the birth rate household um, numbers with children under 18 years old. Like I gather these data myself mm-hmm. um, and I like, I still have that, you know, like, um excitement of working on like the Excel sheets, like running all these um analytics. So <laughs> I'm very like, evidence, <laughs> evidence driven in a way that we really listen to customers, even at our store, we ask our customers, like, oh, like, you know, if you're missed something like, do, do you want to tell us uh, what else you want us to carry? Mm-hmm. Like, it's very much, we want our customers to be a part of our growth and it, everyone has like a stake in it we mm-hmm. are not just uh, someone who present as if like we know everything and uh, mm-hmm. this is what you should choose from but it's more like we are so agile and so and nimble enough that mm-hmm. we can be flexible we can be customizable and uh, um you know that very custom customer centric mindset is just really deeply rooted in everything that we do, for sure. Because at the end of the day, customers need to love what
0: mm-hmm. you provide and what you do. absolutely, absolutely. And I've probably said it a hundred times on the show already, but I'll say it a hundred and one times now. Um, you know, your customers will tell you exactly what they want. Um, you just have to ask them, and you just have to listen because they're they're that's ready so to smart. tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so smart. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you guys don't do like traditional PR or anything of that nature. So how are you able to get the word out? How how are you marketing? How are you capturing new consumers, new customers? What are some of your your strategies?
1: Yeah, so for so we, we are very thankful that we worked with this boutique PR agency when our first launched, like the mm-hmm. first year, and they I mean, obviously, at that time, we really needed a little bit help as the, you know, one woman show who didn't really mm-hmm. understand the landscape, who didn't have any contacts. So they were like my extended team, which mm-hmm. really built like a very strong foundation. But since like the beginning of 2021, we were able to, you know, do partnerships with several like top department stores, especially like SACS. Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom, um, you know, a lot of the writers, they do roundups Mm -hmm. and then they pick out styles from um, sex. I think, you know, being able to have sex with Avenue as a partner to sell our products definitely is a, like a strong credibility and, you know, support Absolutely. in, um in, yeah, in galvanizing interest from these writers. And then, you know, as I mentioned, like maybe 20 minutes ago, like I, I really am like a hustler. I just like code email everyone. And, I'm, getting uh, oh, I'm getting that um, sense. I'm getting that sense.
0: You told me you just love sitting um, down I, I, with I, a spreadsheet. So uh, I believe you. <laughs> I
1: believe yeah, you A lot of people wouldn't like, you know, just to respond to hundreds and thousands of like cold emails, but some people, they really do. And that's when, you know, opportunities uh, could have missed if I didn't give it a try. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily, I was also able to write several contributing articles um, on some of the name magazines like Business Insider and Motherly, you know, like the platform. And also, I still write for entrepreneur.com and all these Definitely helped spread the word. I actually had someone, some mom based in Sydney reaching out to me after seeing my article on entrepreneur.com. So these are ways for us to truly gather that PR influence. And now truly that uh, all the article mentions, they just became organic. Mm-hmm. We haven't had enough time to reach out to more writers and uh, the past like one, two years, all the press mentions, all the roundups were um, happening organic. We were so grateful in terms of marketing. We do a lot of brand partnerships like brand activations mm-hmm. um, because paid media is very, very helpful, but obviously as a bootstrap business, like it's just a little bit like little, a little black hole in mm-hmm. spending and um, it's just a There's no way that I can compete, you know, cyber dollars with legacy brands. So uh, I decided very quickly that uh, it wouldn't work. And uh, I never spent on that more than like a hundred bucks here and there. Well, the return
0: is it's such a gamble with. uh
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's really like I think someone mentioned like, you know, a customer has to see you online at seven spots or eight spots Mm -hmm. for them you know, remember you or something like that. So I truly spent a lot of time building like meaningful partnerships with complementary industries, like, Mm -hmm. you know, membership clubs, uh, OBGYN offices, even like some hospitals I'm like talking to, like obviously these are absolutely our customers and uh, trying to think of ways how you can get, you know, your name out there by giving some marketing materials, Claros, even like uh, we are actually giving out a lot of uh, toe bags to mm-hmm. um, new patients at uh, doctor's offices, which, you know, they love it and we love it and we get our name out. And that is our, that has been our marketing strategy. Um, That's
0: like so simple, but our... it's so brilliant that, that <laughs> <Thank> is, <you. laughs> it, it really is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, you know, we are like small, but almighty, like just have to sometimes, you know, being bootstrapped uh, can be a little blessing in a way that uh, truly tests our limit to think about how to spend a dollar in nine ways yeah. and, uh, you know, find out innovative and a low cost ways to acquire customers.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So I did want to ask because, you know, with your UN background, we talked about, you know, your passion with working with the UN and how that kind of, you know, led a little bit to, to founding the brand. And I know that you guys have had Quite a positive impact, which doesn't surprise me. Can you talk a little bit about some of your initiatives in terms of sustainability, and then um, just some of some of your practices
1: that that um, contribute to social causes? Absolutely. I mean, it's very much in my second nature yeah. to to really like like I don't really do anything just as like a merchant, right? I mm-hmm. mean, my my love is to. To actually create impact uh, that can be at individual level, so uh, going back to how I can create products uh, to directly benefit to these moms, we are a proud member of uh, the One Percent for the Planet. Mm-hmm. So we are very, very proud to contribute some of our revenues and volunteer hours for helping with the environmental causes for our planet, especially as a mother, you know, we have future generations to also like care about. We are a part of the UN Conscious Fashion Network, um, which is also very dear to my heart, you know, started from a previous UN colleague for many years and definitely has been very um, creating a lot of influential, at least advocacies, I think, Mm -hmm. for a lot of brands. Are caring about uh, making conscious efforts in choosing fabrics, and choosing uh, more inter like more meaningful go- governance um, initiatives, and then we do a lot of uh, charity auction donations as well. We donated for Dress for Success. We donated for the Pink Agenda, and we definitely want to do more. We are also, like me personally, uh, has been helping with the Hudson River Park and Central Park Conservancy through like Emilio George. At You know, obviously compared to major sponsors at these organizations, our efforts are smaller, but uh, we want to do our part since based in New York and we want to contribute uh, as an a positive member of the community and connect with the local families as well. Other than that, a lot of uh Public schools, parents associations also contact us um, for mm-hmm. donations. We definitely do that. In terms of our own products, we are in the process of getting B Corp certified. Uh, several colleagues have been doing that. It's a very big undertaking. We, we we hope that this year we can get it done. We started last year. And a few years ago, we definitely had more access to very premium Sustainable fabrics from around the world, like from Japan, and uh, um, and also like we started to connect more with these organic cotton, pima cotton uh, providers in Peru, so that we can diversify our our materials, Mm -hmm. giving all the controversies, you know, like in other regions so with all these materials and all that. So we are very attuned to like what's going on at the policy level as well. And we try to make sure that uh, all the way from the product level by using the fabrics and we work mm-hmm. with three factories right now. I, I visited all of them. I go check on them all the time, make sure like in New York, for example, the minimum wage and all that is all... Taking care of, we ask them to do surveys um, back in Asia to make sure that workers are paid um, fairly. Like all these sustainable ethical practices are very much in our regular, um, also like in our re- regular company practices as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and all the way to, you know, like the global initiatives. So it's very much in in our mindset, in our ethos. Um, and we hope to continue to do more as we grow bigger.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you said it yourself. It's, it's something that is in the DNA of the company. You know, you hear a lot about, well, a lot of brands will kind of release their initiatives or their social good initiatives for the year. And, um, you, you know, you can tell that it's a... It comes from kind of the intention of it's a it's a nice to have. It reflects well in the company, it's a good to have. We know consumers want to align with brands that have similar values. So you'll see these kind of things roll out. But with you and with Amelia George, like I said, it's it's part of the DNA. People can align with the values because the values are core and they're integral. And I think that's really key to to brands actually making real and and lasting impact. So definitely uh, feel that exude from you. And I I would imagine then that it does reflect very well on, on the organization, on the company itself. What kind of
1: feedback are you hearing from that regard? I think, you know, right now it's more like at the local word of mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time when we are so involved in, um, in all these like local communities, uh, yeah. charities, like doing our part, volunteering, uh, the local communities really give us very high regards. And that's how mm-hmm. we get referred uh, more and more and more people trust us. Like mm-hmm. if you can truly like get referred to like more parents, like mm-hmm. in reality, that's like the highest trust of that you know, like in in this segment, because parents care so much about uh, like safety, quality, wow. um, and value, right? right. So um, that's definitely very, very helpful. And yeah. in terms of like the more global initiative, um, it's definitely something that um, truly like important for like me as a founder and for mm-hmm. the company. I know it has to be in the DNA from of the company. From the get go, so that we continue to not forget these principles that uh, as we grow bigger, right? Um, it's not just something when we grow so much bigger and when joining these global initiatives may be like um, a dime or like like a, you know like less of the percentage of the revenue,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: may you know inevitably like you know be perceived as like it's like nice to have to join all these initiatives when it's actually a lot to us to uh to be part of it given our revenue size but it is important and no one no one has um um i i i don't think you know a lot of the company our size um have been like um, a member for like some of the global initiatives programs that uh, we have been actively involved in because, you know, sometimes it's, it's like a little bit uh, bigger, I would say like either financial effort um, or like team hours contribution, but it's important for me to, to start from the very beginning so that we, we never forget and, uh, you know, steer too far as we grow yeah from these core principles.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, El, you mentioned that you've been bootstrapping until now. So, what does that mean, and what are your big goals for the brand as we move into twenty twenty
1: four? Well, sometimes I tell my my friends, you know, just in an endearing way that, oh, you cannot even measure my ambition for this brand. <laughs> when we uh, talk about uh, goals, because What we have seen for the past three, four years has been truly incredible. As, you know, I talked about how everything was, like, not everything, but most of the moments and growth have taken organically. And uh, we've really been able to be down to earth and build this very strong customer base. And we turned a profit in 2023, which, you know, like, in a very short amount of time for a lifestyle brand to be profitable is uh, also, like, we really, really... Worked so hard to run out a very smooth. I mean, run out this model that really could be replicated and expanded mm-hmm. exponentially. So in 2024, I've decided that it is definitely the right timing for us to fundraise for the first time, so that we can expand in a way that it will just take like X amount of more years if I had I continue to do it to, together with my small team, like. To achieve the same kind of scale, um, we held our first investors' event in New York City at the end of January, and uh, we really like had a lot of VCs and uh, PE and angels uh, attending, and even some who have already invested in competitor brands joined. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, very well received, and we continue to to raise. You know, it's like the first round is not major it 's like a million dollars, mm-hmm. but we do think that it will help us to develop that core expansion structure that we we are planning, which is actually very exciting it 's going to disrupt this whole shopping um, shopping category for motherhood. Um, we are talking to engineering to come up with some tech-enabled shopping experiences uh, for that. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, so, so this investment will be very catalytic to this whole project and just like very swift expansion into our top cities that we haven't had a chance to have physical presence yet. Mm-hmm. And um, And then, you know, like eventually going global is very, very much... In, in our horizon, we've already t- started like planting seeds in Asia, all these like mom, like shopping platforms started mm-hmm. to build some contacts. Uh, we very much enter the UK market. So all these will come down the road for sure. Um, but now like focusing on the US, especially the top cities, and really have more families and moms to be able to access um, what we offer. Is just so exciting and can't wait for it to come to realization.
0: Well, I can't wait either. Can you give us maybe a little, little sneak peek on some of the cities that you're considering for expansion for
1: physical stores? Oh, absolutely. You know, our we actually have been keeping track of our top online revenue generating cities. You know, mm-hmm. um, our customers in LA, in Chicago, in San Diego in seattle um in washington dc um, i'm actually talking to you from washington dc right now um and you know we also have um cities like houston dallas austin boston virginia it's like these are these are incredibly vibrant and uh, you know with a lot more young families mm-hmm. and of course of these major cities like San Francisco, LA have always been, you know, top cities so where we see a lot of uh growth like over the years. Um mm-hmm. so we can't wait to expand to these places.
0: Absolutely. Well, I am just a hop away from Dallas. So you let me know when that store launches, I'd love to down and take yes, a tour you to.
1: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> yes. It will come.
0: Well, I'm super excited for you, Elle. This has been just a lovely chat. Loved getting to hear your story and very excited to watch the growth of of Amelia George over the next uh, 12 months. Thank you so much for
1: joining and um, we hope to have you on again. Thank you so much, Gabriela. It's really been a pleasure for me to share this journey with you. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for
0: another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail
1: and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.